Good afternoon, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Like Kent said, my name is Chris Stevenson. I'm a, a member here at VCC, and our, our full-time preaching minister, Steve, is sick today, so we're going we're gonna to pray for him. So let me just say this. If you are a guest here today, please, please, please make sure you come back next weekend too. I promise you will be blessed by Steve's message to our congregation. Please do not judge the preaching here by my sermon today. So Merry Christmas, everyone. I thought I would do a Christmas sermon for you all because I had two whole days to prepare it. And uh, so well, let's turn to that very popular Christmas passage that we're all very familiar with, John, the 18th chapter. And we're going to start in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, asked Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Aging Booth. By a show of hands, who here has downloaded the app Aging Booth? Okay, so either... Very few of you have or you don't know what I'm talking about. Both are awkward, so I'm just going to keep moving. Uh, so a Aging Booth is, is an app you can get on your smartphone. And what you do is you upload your picture to it, and it shows you what you're going to look like in the future. All right, so I, um, I'm still trying to, to decide if it's entertaining or if it's creepy. So I, I want your help this morning. Here's a picture of me in all of my 35 years. And the next picture is what Aging Booth says I'm going to look like in the year 2043. I don't know why I heard laughing. It's kind of rude. Well, it's not fun if I only use myself. So I took the pictures of some church members whose permission I did not seek in advance. And I uploaded those to Aging Booth. I thought I would start with staff, thought that would be safe, since we pay them not to get mad at us. So uh, first we'll have Kent. Here's Kent's current photo. And then this is what it says Kent is going to look like in a few years. Okay, all right. And then next is Scott. I was excited to do Scott because many of us are anxious, are anxious for the day that Scott will grow up. All right, so the next picture is what Scott is going to look like in just a few years. Uh, that makes me sick. He didn't age at all. One more, just because it wouldn't be fun to only do staff, I, I took a, a church member here, Bill Martinelli. He's our drummer. Y'all saw him up here. That's a, a beautiful picture of Bill. Bonnie is a lucky woman. And the next picture is what Bill is going to look like in just a few years. <laughs> you cannot argue with technology, Bill. 
So I had a lot of fun playing with uh, this app earlier this week, but I had even uh, more fun looking at the real-life versions of this technology, the, the software that the police use to solve cold cases and to reunite families with their loved ones after decades. And there was one piece of software that I, I thought was very interesting. It was developed at the University of Washington in Seattle. And uh, this article I was reading, it was in the Seattle Times, it was super interesting. It said that the, the lead researcher, a 33-year-old woman, her name was Ira Kizzelmacher Schizelman. We're just going to call her Ira. And it says that she has never once uploaded her own photo into it. She, and they talked to a, a, a psychology professor at the University of Washington there about that. And he said that did not surprise him at all. And this is his quote. He said, we react negatively to elderly faces in America. It makes it clear that being old is not a pleasant thing. Why would we want to know what unpleasantness awaits us? And, you know, I, I work um, with seniors a lot in my job, and so this idea of, like, uh, trying to, to stay young and never get old, I find that fascinating. But the more I thought about it this week, the more I, I, I realized it's not new. This is not a new idea. In December of 1904, there was a playwright named J.M. Barry who created a character for the London stage that we have forever sort of associated with eternal youth. Who am I talking about? Peter Pan. Very good. It... Uh, it was a play, then it was a novel, then it was an animated film for Disney, then it was a musical, then it was a live-action film, and I feel like every other year they're recreating the live-action film, and it just gets worse every time they do that. But uh, here's the story you know. Peter invites Wendy to travel with him via fairy dust to Neverland, where she is uh, the mom to his gang of lost boys, and they have a lot of adventures, and then ultimately she returns home. And that, that's the version you know because uh, we kind of have an obsession in our culture with happy endings. Because in the original play, Peter goes back to Wendy's home decades later and it says when he sees her, he lets out a cry of pain. He's afraid of her. And in one of the final scenes of Peter Pan, he's on the floor sobbing because Wendy has grown up and he cannot. And in the same way, they do these studies of the American psyche, and they say that we, too, often long to rewind our lives to simpler and more cherished times. They even have a name for this. They call it Peter Pandemonium. And Christmas, I think, surfaces this tension inside of us to not want to grow up. Think about the lengths we go through at Christmas to evoke memories of the past. My, my life group, the life group I'm a part of, we, we had a, a Christmas party earlier this week, and we were talking about how moms are especially the poster children of this. About, think about uh, year after year how moms try to make things the same as previous years. We watch the same movies. We eat the same meals. Some of us wear the same pajamas. We drive through the same uh, neighborhoods to look at lights. We do the Christmas Eve and Christmas rituals the exact same way every year. It's like every year is an attempt to recreate what has been before. And hear me, church, I don't think there's anything wrong with traditions. I, I had a lot of great traditions growing up. My wife and I have three daughters. We're trying to create some, some good create, uh, traditions for them. But here's my question this morning. I wonder if our fascination with staying young is limited to ourselves or if we sometimes project that onto Jesus. 
Because here's what I know about us, church. We love Jesus in the nativity. Right? It's a great story. Angels are singing. Shepherds have been led there. Wise men come bearing gifts. There's an exhausted Mary. There's a Joseph that I'm convinced was very overwhelmed by the week's events. There's barnyard animals. Who doesn't love barnyard animals? And there's a baby. Our hearts are warmed by this story. We love Jesus in the nativity scene. What we don't seem as thrilled about and what seems kind of absent from some of our Christmas celebration is the truth that Jesus grew up and he said some hard things like love your enemy and he went to a cross. Christmas and stories like Peter Pan, they make it true. Who wants to grow up? Who wants to be windy at the end of the story, huddled by the fire? Who wants to to trade in their plastic nativity scene and trade it for a a plastic scene of Golgotha? Who wants to take the new mother Mary and trade her for the broken-hearted Mary we see at the foot of the cross? Who wants to trade the peace of the Magi for the fear of the centurion? Who wants to to trade the peace of Bethlehem for the pain of Calvary? Who wants to trade the baby Jesus for the 33-year-old crucified man? No thank you, we say. We will save all those difficult images until we get to Easter. But in our text today from John 18, Jesus is standing in front of Pilate, and he's hours away from his death. And he says, under no uncertain terms, I was born for this. For this? I think that must have really confused Pilate. Born, born for, for what? Your own people hate you. They've handed you over to a foreign government to be tortured and killed. And Jesus says, for this reason I was born, to testify to the truth. And Pilate can just ask, what's truth? So what is truth? I'm going to need two people to help me. I've asked my friends Dallas and Gina to come up here and help me uh, illustrate this for a second this morning. This is, I promise this won't take long. All I need them to do is choose between two items, okay? So I've got this large-sized Hershey's chocolate bar, 25 pieces, $3.20 right here. Or I've got this Captain America sock, okay? Now, some backstory, all right? Seven years ago, I was in a softball league, and I hit a home run, one home run that entire season, and I was wearing the sock when that happened, okay? Don't ride the sock off, all right? So we're going to let ladies choose. So Gina, which would you rather have, the, the sock or the chocolate? Great, there you go. Hey, let's hear it for our volunteers. Oh, wait, I forgot. Dallas, look inside that sock. I forgot. I left a $5 bill in there. And you can have that, Dallas. Merry Christmas. And I wonder how good that chocolate's going to taste now. (laughs) So Lewis Carroll once said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And that's, that's true, but I was thinking this week, the adverse of that is also true. If you know where you're going it completely changes how you get there. If Gina had known where I was going with my warped illustration this morning, she might have chosen differently. She might have chosen the sock. Knowing the destination changes the journey. 
That's the truth from Jesus' life proclaimed in John 18. Jesus always knew the real destination, and it changed how he journeyed. That's why he's washing feet while other people are just sitting around in John 13. It's why he's asleep on the boat while other people are panicking in Mark chapter 4. It's why he's riding in the sand while other people are picking up rocks to throw in uh, John 8. And it's why he's standing calmly in front of Pilate in John 18 when other people would have been screaming about their innocence. Christ knew that the star of Bethlehem that we see all the time this time of year, it wasn't pointing just to a manger. It was pointing to the cross. He knew he was born to die, and it shaped how he lived. And in verse 37, Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So let's get practical. What does that look like in 21st century America, living on the side of truth? Now, if you've heard me preach before, you know this is where I uh, normally put on my holier-than-thou voice, and I tell people how they can be better Christians. But I'm not going to do that this morning or this afternoon. What I'm going to do today is I'm just going to, to tell you some examples I've seen over the last 12 months of how this body of believers has lived out truth this year. I could talk about the 12 missions that this church supports every single month that are doing things like saving babies at CareNet to rescuing girls from sex trafficking at at Rafa to feeding the homeless at the source to spreading the gospel all over the places like in Haiti, Australia, and Thailand and Cambodia. I could talk about the 33 people who've been baptized this year or the 27 other people who have placed membership here this year. And do you know how they became connected with this church? Because of you. Because their friends and their family said, hey, come and see what this Christianity thing is all about. I could talk about the hundreds of meals that this church provided just a few weeks ago at Thanksgiving to people who uh, maybe weren't going to have a hot meal or maybe uh, were going to be by themselves uh, for, for Thanksgiving, and we gave out hundreds of meals. I could talk about the, the dozens of other meals that we've given out all throughout the year via meal trains for people who had surgeries or were shut in their home for a season of time. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the love and the self-sacrifice of the cross. The love and the self-sacrifice of the cross. That's the truth that Jesus was talking about in John 18. If you're a guest here today, you need to know that Vero Christian Church, we're not perfect people, but we are people who love God, love others, or love people and serve others. And I'm, I'm just a member here, but I think we are great practitioners at doing the love and the self-sacrifice of the cross. Oh, sure, we can clap for that, yeah. <laughs> but you might say, Chris, love and self-sacrifice, that's hard. It's hard out there, Chris, especially for Christians. We can't practice love and self-sacrifice. Well, I'm glad you said that because I've got one more pop culture reference for you. Uh, has anyone seen that movie, The Revenant, with Leonardo DiCaprio? Okay, it's, it's not for everyone. It's, it's, it's a real bear of a movie. It's a real bear of a movie. <laughs> so uh, it's based off a man who gets mauled by a bear and has to crawl uh, m- hundreds of miles back to civilization. It's not for everyone. But in that movie, Leonardo DiCaprio says, I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. And I was thinking about that this week. Doesn't that line belong on the lips of anyone who's been baptized? Because in Romans, 
Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Doesn't that line belong on the lips of anyone who's been baptized? I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. Says the Christians during the holiday season who uh, give of their time and their resources. Maybe they, they give to a charity or they help a family that doesn't have very much for Christmas. I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. Says the Christian students who decide they're not going to bully the new kid at school. They're going to sit with the new kid at school and show them the love of Christ. I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. Says the Christian businessman who's trying to get a leg up on his competition but wants to do it in an ethical way. I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already, says the Christian parents who say we are not going to let the world teach our kids what right and wrong is, but we're going to take the time and the energy to, to show our kids God's vision of what a family should look like. I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already, says that Christian in the doctor's office getting that white knuckle diagnosis. I ain't afraid to die anymore. I've done it already says the members of Vero Christian Church and everything they do throughout the week. Knowing the destination changes the journey, church. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that this is all foolishness if you don't believe. The way that Vero Christian Church lives its life in the midst of this busy and chaotic holiday season, it won't make sense to the rest of the world. Except that the people here have lives that aren't shaped by the manger, but lives that are shaped by the cross. So we are about to have communion. You should have uh, picked up um, a, a communion um, packet as you were walking in, and this is something we do every week. The cross is where we're headed this morning. It's where the entire Christmas season is pointed. I think it would have been silly to do the sermon after communion today because the holidays, they reach their climax and their zenith tomorrow on Christmas, right? But every week, we get to come and our worship culminates at the foot of the cross. Every week, because we saw that in in, in the book of Acts, the first first century church did this every week. They they would meet and they would would remember Jesus' death and resurrection. So there's a, a double part, the crackers underneath and the juice is there. And um, in a second, we're going to play some music. And I just want you to think about how you can practically, how knowing, knowing the destination changes your journey this week. All right? It's for this reason that he was born. All right? And, uh, you know, we sang O Come, O Come, Emmanuel uh, a few minutes ago. Here's, here's an easy church question. What does Emmanuel mean, church? God with us, very good. God became one of us for this reason. And that's what we get to acknowledge right now. It is the greatest story that has ever been told. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Vero Christian Church, God. I thank you for the leadership here. I thank you for the people here, God, who who love you and who love others and who serve others, God. And as we are going into the holidays, God, Help us to remember that our lives are shaped not by, not by the manger, God, but by the cross. Because that was your ultimate destination. And we, we know, God, that we are going to be with you one day. 
and help us to remember communion is a lifestyle. It's the way we live out life with one another, God. And we ask that our worship will be pleasing to you this morning. And we pray all these things in your son's name.